Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In this week's episode, we uh, respond to a listener, listener's email that uh, lit me up a little bit. Um, she called me to the carpet. Now, when you say lit you up, was this kind of like a you were caught smoking in middle school type of a thing? No, or? no. She she took uh, umbrage with something that I had said, and I, I think, think even the word umbrage is well. And I think she's expecting something kind of conciliatory here, where I I come. Well, let's first let me ask the question: Were you wrong? I was not wrong. Okay, so that one of the things about making a reconciliation is someone at some point has to admit. Not only was I not wrong, I couldn't have been more right. As almost PhD Richard, um, I am at my most arrogant right, right now. So, so you have it. Weren't you initially in your first class of your PhD program? You had all of your hubris beaten out of you, right? Oh, I was. I, 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 I felt like I couldn't have possibly have known less. I felt yeah. like an idiot. It was uh, funny. Like you, you even felt bad about things that had nothing to do with business PhDs. You're like, I'm a terrible father. <laughs> I, I would. Well, that had always. <laughs> That had always been the case, but yes. And so, so this is maximum arrogant me. I mean, I just, I had a meeting with my dissertation committee just this week and um, things seem to be going well. They, they like the direction of some of it. Although one of the people on the committee said that she thought that my idea was cute. Ooh, I, don't, I don't know that wow. that's yeah, necessarily. That's... Other than that comment, other than yeah. that, it went you really, really well. You have a very cute idea. Yeah. Richard, I think you need to start considering the fact that you may not be getting a PhD. It's it's likely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that Richard will be very conciliatory. Right. But but not this one. But our listener, yes. um, do we have a name for our listener? Uh, Janet. Janet. Now, that's a fairly common name. So it is. so there are, of our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of thousands of listeners named Janet. How many Janets? Well, look, we found out how many bills there are when I casually said Bill was a fornicator. Adulterer, I believe. Adulterer. Not fornicator? Well, I mean, that implies, but also uh, adulterer seems worse. You Bill, made additional Bill, promises. Bill, we, we need you to email us and let us know exactly how we slandered you. Here's the subject for that email, by the way. By the way, just just at the very beginning, uh, we love Janet. Uh, Janet is wonderful. A friend of ours? Jenna's, yeah, yeah. And you, <laughs> you sir, sir, are, are no, no Janet. Janet. <laughs> uh, this, you, you know that you're on brand when your go-to joke is something from the 1992 vice presidential <laughs> debate? Is that where we're at? Is that what it was? Yeah, that's okay, right. Good. That's right. Yeah, Mr. Quayle. Yeah. Um, Richard, 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 you are such a fine young man. That's the subject. Well, that's a kind... Kind thing that is, it's, it's. Do you think she's patting you on the head? It's written there? with, yeah, it's yeah. written with a tongue. She wrote it in blood. <laughs> <laughs> My dear Richard, 
I was on my walk this morning listening to the usual banter at the beginning. Let's face it, the first 15 minutes. Oh, boy. That's very funny. Boy, we just played Rex's right into Elder we, just played, we just played right into her hands. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I lose for most of this, but I feel I'm going to win in the end. I don't think so. Okay. Of the latest used car salesman episode. So, for those, so first of all, Janet's a premium subscriber. So, uh, obviously, I'm going to be far kinder and defer- more deferential as we appreciate. Uh, that this is a really great episode. If you were thinking, when should I get the premium content? We talk about Johann Tetzel, the peddler of indulgences, who's selling people millions of less years in purgatory. Yeah, it's it's actually one of my favorites. Most of our premium episodes are garbage, but that one oh, was yeah. so no. good. There are premium episodes that I'm embarrassed of. No, I'm just kidding. But but it, it's about it's, it, it's about the the beginning of the Reformation, and so it's a very important uh, a very important part. Right, and I talk about how I think the name of the episode is something like Johann Tetzel used car salesman or something. Yeah, Johann Tetzel, you know, with a seersucker suit. <laughs> And he's like, what's it going to take to get you into an indulgence? How would you like to get out of purgatory? Yes. And so in that, Garrett, uh, I was I was here minding my own business, watching college football games while Garrett was talking about, you know, uh, religious history things. And uh, Garrett pointed out a pet peeve that he said that I have um, when people call Area authority, 70s. General authority, 70s, right? Um, and I I wasn't planning to speak about that. I thought I had said all these things in confidence. Right. Well, I broke confidence. And, yeah. And, and so, to be very clear. Now, Richard loves area 70s. Of I, course. Yeah. Of course. They're wonderful. When they come and speak and stay conference, they're great. They occasionally will come. And we don't have any area award. 70s listening. Of course we, we don't. If we do... We're about to get a call from our stake president. Well, no, I mean, so, so yeah, area authority 70s are wonderful. And when they speak in general conference, they're, they're usually incredible It's honestly speakers. been one of the greatest innovations in the church in my lifetime, the yeah. creation of the area authority 70s. Right. So this, we, happened, this happened in 1995. It's yeah. announced in April of 1995 by President Hinckley. It's I, re- I remember. Area it's crazy. 70s. I mean, I remember literally President Hinckley talking and announcing it. And even as a, a teenager, it was exhilarating. That we were going to have like, what? We're not going to have two quorums of the 70, but I was going to have like 90 quorums eventually. Well, we have 12 now. I know, Let's start but with like, five. the idea was it just can expand well, so I, to it. I, I totally got away from her email. I need to get back. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. To, I'm starting to be super defensive. I haven't even finished her yeah, point you yet. Are, yeah, you are very defensive of something we haven't even read yet. All right. When the banter turned to what you were saying, you consider a general authority and an area authority. And I have to confess... I lost all focus on the real content because of the conversation I was having with you in my head. Now, I know Garrett would like to keep the standard of truth as close to the truth as possible. Janet, you have no idea how wrong that statement is. (laughs) So I'm going to put forth what I believe is a little truth, which is probably closer to the truth uh, than your truth. (laughs) Staying consistent with the confession mode, I am close to three quarters of a century old. If I know I shouldn't be confessing such things, but in this case I must. And my mother was born in 1916, which was a little little while ago. So what I'm trying to get at is I probably have close to a doctorate in this information, but at the very least... She's ABD. Maybe a master's since I I was there. Uh, And my parents go a bit further back. Now, I don't know when the term general authority began to be used or who it was that coined it, but I give you, in all caps, the challenge, Richard, not Garrett, 
to research this and report back. Now there is more. Uh, here I will read in a second, but uh, Janet Garrett did all the research on this. So no, uh, well, you could have pretended that you did it. Yeah, but I, as that now you know we're leading with the truth here. I just wanted to let her know. I mean, if you want me to report back, I'm just gonna you know make some stuff okay. up. Okay, right. yeah, the there we go. Yeah, right. Um, at any rate, this is how general authority was used long, long, long before you were born. Um, anyone uh, above a stake president has always been referred to as a general authority. Subcategories of general authorities are 70s, area authorities. Current title, notice the capitalization here, and apostles and prophets. The area authorities used to be called assistants to the 12, just a different title for these general authorities. And before that, I'm not sure. I believe they just called brethren to help out the 12 without setting setting them apart. After you report back from your research, it's, she's giving me an assignment. I like Sorry how she thinks you're going to do this. Well, and I did. She, I like, well, you did. Wait, wait, what part of it did you do? <laughs> I drove to your house. <laughs> That's long ways. It is. The traffic's far. terrible from now. Layton, oh yeah, it was Labor Day weekend. Um, we'll all be better informed, but it better be true truth. Though I live in Utah, I didn't grow up here. When anyone came from state conference, it was a big deal. And I'm sure it still is for many folks outside of Utah, Idaho, yes, I know, and Arizona. Well, so first of all, Janet, as an aside, I, growing up in, uh, you know, Nampa, Idaho. The rich side of Idaho. Well, Nampa, Idaho, our stake was kind of between Nampa and Cuna, Idaho. That's where we, where we were. And, um... I did not, I don't remember seeing any sort of general authority until I was in high school. We had a, a general authority 70, uh, which it was a general be, be authority. Be careful, be careful. Which was a general yeah, authority. Yeah. Oh, he was great. Yeah. He came. I'm just saying, oh, are you sure he was a general authority 100%, okay. because this was pre-1995. Okay. Uh, so he came, he spoke, it was awesome. I was, uh, I believe, 16, the first time I ever saw general authority speak and it was i mean other than general conference which i will admit as a young man i regularly did not pay attention to as often or as much as i should so it was a really big deal uh to be able to see a general authority for the first time was awesome i loved it it was it was incredible thing um all right moving on chances are you probably still want to continue to say (laughs) what is untrue (laughs) But I've got. Wow! I know well, she's, she's you know, coming. First at of all, me. she knows you. Yeah, I know. Seriously, yeah. wait. Is I Becky know, writing? I this? know. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Becky is your pseudonym, possibly Janet. Yeah. Like, do you write under the name? But of I've Janet? got history as my credentials, so I believe my truth is more true than yours. Love you guys. Keep me laughing and learning. But don't forget, Richard, I'm right. Cheers. Wow. She came gunning for you. She did. You know what I like though? Like I like a, all of it. Actually, I, I, like I like the fact that like a hyena doesn't go after the strongest, you know, wildebeest <laughs> pack. You know? Like like we could she go after, after Well she came after me as well as the weak sickly antelope that's what like Yeah. Like she right. she could have like Sure. I've got gangrene in one leg. I went to a watering hole, got like the other leg bit off by but, a crocodile. Yeah. A spiritual crocodile. Yeah. I, we could do a, a whole one on Board K Packer as well, but um yeah, that's great. That was a great email. I'm the sickly antelope that she's going. Well, yeah. So, so here's the thing, though, Janet. <laughs> he will not yield. Well, so so here's the thing: is that um, there there was a significant change that you know we talked about. You know, 
a little bit as, as I interrupted your, your email. In 1995, when President Hinckley makes the change and announces Area Authority 70, and that general authorities are the first and second quorum of the 70, and that at the time, the third, fourth, and fifth quorum of the 70 were Area 70 that lived in a particular geographical location and then served in that general area. We're now up to 12 um, areas, 70 quorums, or 12 quorums of the 70, with, but with the first two as general authorities. And so the reason that I talked about it is there, there is actually a pretty significant difference in the responsibility between an area 70 and a general authority 70. So I, not to take anything away from any area authority ever. I feel like ever, this entire podcast has been bad-mouthing area authority 70. That's, that's, what, that's not, how Janet took That it. is not it at all. So, well, uh, well, let me just speak to what uh, uh, Janet talked about in part of her email on the assistance uh, to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So this is something that that is in the 20th century. There are several men called beginning in 1941 to be special assistance, assistance to the 12. And they do actually have general authority power. And they are often assigned certain geographic roles. Now they're not, they're not called 70. They're called assistance to the 12. And there are some pretty big names that are assistants to the 12. Among them, President Hinckley. Well, he wasn't President <laughs> Hinckley at the time. But, but you know, I expect good things from you, young yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Boyd K. Packer, we've already been uh, noted. David B. Haight, James E. Faust, Neil A. Maxwell. It seems like this was an okay position to hold. Um, the, they are going to last from 1941 until... General Conference of 1976. And in 1976, uh, it's it, President Kimball is going to explain, essentially, that some of the functions of the 70, the, 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 the first quorum of the 70, some of those functions were essentially being replicated by these assistants to the 12 because they both had general authority power. And that he he folds them back in uh, to, well, he eliminates the office essentially and makes them general authority 70s. Um, since the functions and responsibilities, this is from the conference, uh, since the functions and responsibilities of the assistance to the 12 and the 70 are similar, and since the accelerated worldwide growth of the church requires a consolidation of its administrative functions at the general level, the first presidency in Quorum of the Twelve with the concurrence of the assistants to the Twelve. So, hey, don't worry. We talked to these guys, which is funny. You remember when President Uchtdorf just became Elder Uchtdorf again? Just, just <laughs> one of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Um, how many people were so upset because he had been President Uchtdorf? Because they saw serving in the first presidency like, like serving up the ladder in a in a local fast food chain. Well, but like you can't go from being the assistant manager to being the assistant deputy manager. So the issue though is with President Hinckley and President Monson serving in their roles as long as they did. It had been years and years and years of that. So right, people had to right. come so, back. So so their their lived religious experience was 
anyone who's in the first presidency, not only is in the first presidency forever, but they actually are often the ones on the day-to-day level running things in the church because the prophet is sick or, you know, with, with, with both president Kimball and, and president Benson. And then even with president Hunter, there was considerable illness that made, that made them, you know, even appearing in general conference difficult. And so, uh, in many ways, our view of the first presidency is, is, is much more enhanced because of our experience. Now, look, they, they still are the, the, the first presidency hold the keys, right? But in Joseph Smith's time, the first presidency was a very different office. And it was a different office in part because everyone serving in the first presidency were actually not members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Sidney Rigdon was not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. John C. Bennett, thank goodness that I can say the words, John C. Bennett was not an apostle. Those are some of the most important words anyone's ever said. Um, uh, William Law is not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Now, over the course of time, the First Presidency will always be drawn from the, the Quorum of the Twelve. And so those things shift and change over time. So, I mean, in, in Janet's email where she says, you know, there used to be assistants to the 12 and they had general authority power. Well, you're right. If an assistant to the 12 showed up at your ward, wherever you, you're from, you said you're not from Utah, then yeah, that would have been a gigantic deal. It would have been someone with general authority power coming to speak to the church. Um, and so maybe I thought, uh, maybe trace a little bit where this terminology comes from. Now, look, I am not a language expert. For those of you listening to the podcast, you're well aware I'm not even very good at speaking English, period. <laughs> now, on the bright side, when I do make a mistake, we stop the recording, we cut it out, and then whenever Richard makes a mistake, keep it in. we leave it in. That's right. Because the aforementioned gangrenous <laughs> antelope. <laughs> I just love, I love the visual of that. Yeah. Just limping along, waiting for <laughs> yeah. death. No eyes. You're blind, one <laughs> horn's crooked, you know. <laughs> the, hy- the hyenas are looking for something easy. Uh, so they attack me misspeaking on area authorities, which, again, I didn't. Okay, well, you and Janet are going to have to meet a high dude. Um, so the the interesting thing is, of course, this is a terminology, general authority, meaning what it does. It, it kind of develops over time. Now, you want to know when is it first used? Uh, What's really interesting is section 102 is going to be an important section for all of the councils of the church, but it's especially important because it outlines the functions, duties, and powers of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles when they are first called. Now, if you recall back many, 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 so many podcasts ago, back when the world was new, when Richard's gangrenous hoof was not yet ready to take the rest of his leg. Uh, uh, We did a podcast where we talked about when the Quorum of the Twelve was actually first created. And it's not until February of 1835 that the Quorum of the Twelve is called. Well, when they are initially called, they are called and given a type of... Now, like no one's using the word general authority yet but they're given a type of power that is 
almost general authority. They're given this power where they have the ability to settle doctrine, to call people, to settle disputes. They, they, they represent the church everywhere outside of the seat of government of the church. Meaning the Quorum of the Twelve, in when they were initially called, didn't really have ecclesiastical power in Kirtland, but they did have it everywhere else. So if you're, you know, if you're in a branch in Michigan, the Quorum of the Twelve, they're going to be they, they are going to be the ones who settle the, the the questions that you have. Now, in fact, in in your uh, if you if you turn to Doctrine and Covenant section one hundred two, and drop down to verses thirty through thirty two, these are verses that are not part of the original minutes. So D and C one hundred two are the minutes of a church council that are canonized and they're published in the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants. But this meeting was held in 1834 before the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles was called. And so you have this whole thing explaining some of the, especially some of the appellate abilities of people being able to appeal councils when they've been brought into council for some kind of sin. In fact, maybe we'll just read a little bit of this. Um, um, the high priests when abroad have power to call and organize a council. This is verse 24 of section 102. The high priest when abroad have a power to call and organize a council after the manner of the foregoing to settle difficulties when the parties of either of them shall request it. And the said council of high priests shall have power to appoint one of their own number to preside over such a council for the time being. It shall be the duty of said council to transmit immediately a copy of their proceedings with a full statement of the testimony accompanying their decision to the high council of the seat of the first presidency of the church. So now notice again, there's, there's a standing high council in the early church that is set up to be wherever the first presidency is or, or the seat of government of the church is, as, as it's referred to. Okay. So you have, uh, you know, a bunch of, of missionaries that are preaching in New York and there's someone in New York who says, Hey, you know, Bill slandered me and, and said that I was a gangrenous antelope with, uh, with hyenas chasing after me. And they, they call essentially an ad hoc, uh, council uh, to to try to settle the affair. They they are not a traveling council. It's essentially a, a council called together of of people who you know have the high priesthood who can then you know determine what's going on here. But their decision is then sent back to the standing high council at the seat of government of the church. So. So we're, we're in Michigan, someone's claiming someone's a gangrenous antelope, you know, someone else is claiming that the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo didn't really matter that much in American history, someone else is claiming that rice tariffs are uninteresting, and, and the dispute's got to be settled. Um, and uh, the, they, they, they make their dispute, you know what, Bill is wrong about this, in addition to being an adulterer, Bill also is a slanderer. Um, and then they send their decision with all of the testimony, they send it to the church headquarters so that the church headquarters have that. Should the parties of either of them be dissatisfied with the decision of said council, they may appeal to the high council 
of the seat of the first presidency of the church and have a rehearing, which case shall there be conducted according to the former pattern written uh, as though no decision had been made. So in the early church court system, what's set up in this 1834 uh, minutes is an appellate system where if, you know, you have a dispute over some milk strippings that it can go further up the line. That'll be, that's another podcast. That's apostles and apostates part two. And apothecaries. Uh, apostles, apostates, and apothecaries part two. Yeah. I, uh, I had a good friend say to me, Hey, I, I think I know the other a word you were looking for, but, um, it was apothecary. Apothecary. That's what I said. Obviously it's some kind of a pharmacist. Um, they could appeal and have a rehearing as if there wasn't even a subtle thing. So it was, it was completely redone case. Incidentally, this is a practice that is followed well into the 20th century in Utah. The Salt Lake stake, which is the high council of the seat of government of the church, the high council of the first, where the first presidency is had appellate jurisdictional authority over other high councils in the church. Isn't that an interesting interesting. thing? Yeah. Well, at any rate, this was 1834 and you've got your standing high council and then you have these kind of ad hoc councils of elders when they're abroad, basically this kind of thing. Like, what do you do when there's a problem with the church somewhere that's outside of Kirtland? And then the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is called in February of 1835. So before DNC 102 is published in the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, so it's published later that year, Joseph Smith makes amendations to this revelation. At what well, it's it's really the minutes of a meeting that is revealed. And he adds these verses. If you go to um well, let's, let me finish reading the part. This is not the added part. Verse 28. The council of high priests abroad is only to be called on the most difficult cases of church matters. And no common or ordinary case is to be sufficient to call such a council. Again, slandering someone probably isn't, right? Uh, someone claiming that uh, they are the real prophet, maybe that is kind of a big deal. The traveling or located high priests abroad have power to say whether it's necessary to call a council or not. So one of the things written in there is, look, Bill saying that John stole his hammer is not enough for us to call a, a, a traveling high priest abroad council. So the verses that are added are verse 30 through 32 because the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles are essentially a permanent traveling high council with this kind of general authority. And and this is what's added. There is a distinction between the high council or the traveling high priest abroad and the traveling high council composed of the 12 apostles in their decisions. From the decision of the former, there can be an appeal. But from the decision of the latter, there cannot. Okay, so you notice a very big difference. If, If it's just a, you know, you know, a, a bunch of high priests in Michigan that, uh, you know, hear my case and I think it was judged wrongly. I can appeal that decision, but the quorum of the 12 are a much higher council. They're not an ad hoc council. They aren't just people like, Hey, Jim, could you, you're a high priest, right? Could you come serve on this? There's not that, you know, incidentally, we still, 
people who will bring be brought in as uh, additional members to high councils when they can't form a full high council even now. I I served in in some councils where that was the case. They didn't have their full high council. I was Could you a- explain that so that maybe I yeah, mean well, don't you know don't well so this is what the guy don't did. don't tell us what happened or where it happened or what's going on. But just as an explanation, how is it that as not a member of the high council, you were serving in that role? Right. So I, I having served uh, in a in a bishopric, uh, was a high priest. Janet, this is going to be pretty disappointing to you that Richard's been in a bishopric. <laughs> well, so several well, times. I, I, I may have said this. I may have said this already on the on the uh, podcast. If not, this is my favorite quote of anything I've ever heard in my life. We were we were living in Clearfield, Utah. We just moved to Utah. And the patriarch was uh, for the Clearfield Stake was speaking uh, in state conference, and he uh, he he said, you know, sometimes people ask me, you know, how could I serve in leadership? How could I, you know, serve as a as a bishop or something like that? Like, how, and first of all, who in the world is signing up for that? Yeah. Like, look, if you if you're if you're called, you you, you do it. But who is who is signing up for it anyway? So. Um, he said, you know, I often tell people, if you want to serve in leadership, the key is to move to a place without a lot of talent. Yeah. And that's the funniest thing I think I've ever heard. And you followed those instructions. I followed those instructions, and that's how I served in a bishopric. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, as having been a high priest, they had, uh, at the time it was still called a disciplinary council, and the stake president reached out to me and gave me a call and said, hey, we're, we're, we're doing this disciplinary council and we're only going to have 10 members of the high council that'll be there and we'd like for you to come and serve on the high council as a high priest that serves in that capacity. So I wasn't on the high council, but sat in in that a- particular a- Essentially as an ad hoc a- member, a- as, a- as yes. if you were a member of the high council. Correct. Right? But, right. but not actually a member of the high council. No, no, certainly not. <laughs> he could be a member of the bishopric, but a member of the high council, he can not. The reason why I bring this up is um, not only is it important to talk about where the apostles' authority begins, and of course, Joseph's going to keep giving them more and more and more authority until, um, as we learned on the final charge, uh, you know. So we're kind of working backwards. We are final kind of, charge, and now we're yeah, going yeah. Back we're going to gonna start with charge. we're going to start with you know President Nelson, and then we're going to work our way back to like it, what's we might eventually get to Joseph Smith. Um, uh, again, verse 32, the latter can only be called into question by the general authorities of the church in case of transgression. So notice that. So one of the interesting things is that the first time it's mentioned in scripture, that term general authority is surrounding this higher power, actually, that that the latter. So a decision made by the apostles can only be called into question by the general authorities of the church in the case of transgression. So... Um, now, even though it says that, it is not a regular thing for that term to be used um, in the church. So even though you have this in, in you know, an 1835 uh, document, it still is a relatively rare uh, usage. In 1838, you have a, a conference that is uh, held in Far West and it's going to use this same type of, of phraseology. And this is a conference from April 7th of 1838. 
Agreeable to a resolution of the High Council assembled at Far West on Saturday, the 3rd of March, 1838, the general authorities of the church met to hold the first quarterly conference of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Remember, that was before we had our name change. Um, and it lists off President Joe Smith Jr., Sidney Rigdon, Thomas B. Marsh, David W. Patton, and Brigham Young took the stand, after which the several quorums, the High Council, the High Priest, the Seventies, and the Elders. So you, you get this terminology, but you don't get this very great definition of it. Why does that matter? Because it, we use it, I mean, exclusively. I mean, it is it is not hard to know what we mean when we say the word general authority uh, in the church today. It is, it's, it's very well spelled out. But in the early church, that terminology is not used as readily. Um, let me give you an example from 1856. Franklin D. Richards is talking about uh, a, a conference that they hold in, in England. Okay, it's in, it's in Birmingham, England, and he, he's using this phraseology that today would seem a little bit out of place. He says, before leaving England on the 26th of July, and this is, it, sorry, this is 1856 that he's, he's giving this. Before leaving England on the 26th of July, I had the pleasure of welcoming brothers Pratt and Benson to that interesting and important field of labor. We had a joyful conference at Birmingham. And a council of the general authorities of the church in those countries. Those brethren expressed themselves very satisfactorily and cheeringly as to the condition in which they received the work at our hands. Here, you'll notice he's using general in the exact opposite way to meaning common. The common authorities, not, not authority that is that is everywhere, general meaning that it's authority that, that goes everywhere, but rather uh, the more common church authorities is the way that he's using that, or at least appears to be using that in this, in this instance. There is, uh, it seems like Erastus Snow uh, is one of the people that really kind of pushes this to be more of the nomenclature for it to be a general authority to mean something talking about the leadership of the church. Uh, he's, what he's talking about is that people shouldn't show up in uh, Utah uh, expecting the leaders of the church to just feed them all the time, that they like need to bring food and also grow crops and stuff. And he says, they look to, they look, uh, to the fathers of their ward, for Brother Brigham having set the example so many times, for he says, I'm not going to continue to do it. They may uh, pick up the responsibility on the bishop to take a little oversight of their wards without throwing it on Brother Brigham and the general authorities of this church. That is to say, they need not to expect the general authorities of this church to bear this people in their bosoms and exercise all thought for them, for that portion that don't think for themselves. Um, there he seems to be, you know, combining it with Brigham Young, he seems to be tra talking about the general leadership of the church there, right? Not just a local bishop in Birmingham, England, right? So you can see that's only two years later. That's 1838 that you're getting that. Even more directly, um, a few years later, it's again Erastus Snow in 1879, who is going to describe this terminology, general authority, in a pretty familiar way. Again, in general conference. He is going to say... Um, 
And for the same, I'm obviously taking part of this, but, and for the same reason, those who officiate in the more extended spheres, such as presidents of stakes, high counselors, and all stake authorities are put before the people in their several stakes in conference assembled for their approval, their confidence, and support. Otherwise, their appointment has not the same force and effect upon the people. In like manner, those who may be selected by the working of the Holy Spirit through the proper authorities to preside over quorums are nominated for this calling and are submitted to the members for their sanction and confidence. And then come the general authorities who preside over and minister in the affairs of the church in all the earth. These general quorums are not local and are not limited to any particular stake or quorum. Their business is to see that the gospel is preached to the whole world, to impart counsel by the spirit of revelation according to the spirit of their apostleship and calling and special witnesses and messengers to the world of mankind. These are the first presidency and the 12 apostles and the 70s whose calling and duty it is to labor under the direction of the 12 and to bear the gospel to all nations and to regulate the affairs of the church in all the world. These general authorities are therefore brought before the general conference assembled for their approval and for them to uphold and sustain by their faith and prayers and in like manner they are presented at the several state conferences. That's 1879. It's a, it, it's a pretty good explanation, isn't it? Where he explains there are local authorities. Those local authorities are called by general church authorities. But what makes someone a general authority is they preside over and minister in the affairs of the church in all the earth. They are not local. They are not limited to any particular stake or quorum. I think that's, I mean, you right. can use that definition today almost. You can. So like as an example, a bishop has a geographical area, a stake president has a geographical area, and an area authority has a geographical area where a general authority um, might be called to reorganize a stake in Texas or reorganize a stake in Canada. Or- right, but an area authority 70 is never going to be called outside of his area to reorganize a stake Correct. in a different area. That's right. But they would be called to reorganize a stake in their area. Right. Because so they, they still are a 70. They're a 70 over that particular area. Now, I think one of the reasons why this becomes a little bit confusing is in addition to general authority 70, you're probably thinking, well, we're 40 minutes in. Yeah, confusing was 35 minutes ago. <laughs> confusing was the gangrenous antelope. Well, that was the only thing you said that made any sense. Well, that, that Janet saw weakness. <laughs> yeah, and she passed. The one thing we know about Janet is if she sees weakness, <laughs> she, I mean, you, you do not want to play a game of poker with her. No. No, she'll 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 see that you're bluffing. She goes all in. We don't know anything about gambling. No, but she'll get you on the flop. Yeah, she'll get you well, she'll probably get you on the river actually. She'll wait. Yeah, she's a she she'll wait to get you on the river. Um but um the there's also, of course, in the church now area presidencies. So you have general authority 70s and you also have area authority 70s. But then you also have area presidencies, which are over a much larger geographic area. And they include both general authority 70s and also area 70s. So so you could have someone from your area presidency come to speak to you, and they may or may not be a general authority. 
have general authority power, even though they have all kinds of power in your area. One of the beautiful things about this, so there, there's a great uh, article uh, from Elder, Elder Bruce Tingey? Earl C. Tingey. Earl, Tingey. Earl oh. C. Tingey yeah. about Area Authority 70s. This was in the formerly Enzyme, currently Liahona, October 2002, where he talks about talks about this, talks about the um, how in Doctrine and Covenants section 107, how the Lord lays the groundwork for as the church grows and as it fills the whole earth, that this body of 70 is structured in such a way to allow for it to grow. The number of areas that we used to, we've had 29, I believe now we only have 23, um, and we used to have five quorums of the 70 uh, when the, this was reorganized in 1995, and now we have 12. And so as the church continues to expand and grow and grow and grow, there's going to be changes, and that's the beauty of, of a, a, the inspiration in behind business, the whole thing. In a business world, <laughs> scalability. Yeah, right. We, is there we some scalability scale, here with scale, our scalable and repeatable processes that allow for uh, sustained growth? That's correct. And that's the main reason why you're getting your PhD. One hundred percent to fully understand the growth of the seventy, the uh, the the office of the seventy. Yeah, so it, it, it's beautiful in in the way that the Lord has structured and set this up to allow it to grow. However, there is a difference between the two. I think that's at the heart of what I'm saying. I think the heart of what you're saying is that you. You want to be right. I do. I so badly want to be right. Yeah, I have that, so few wins in my life. I need this so bad. Janet, would you just please give this to me? We should. I mean, look, the terminology has changed a lot. I mean, I remember when we used to, I mean, no, I remember. It was like it was like a week ago. <laughs> I, I remember. Congratulations. Yeah, I remember when we used to call them auxiliary presidencies. <laughs> and other organizations. Right. They're no longer yeah. auxiliaries, they're organizations. Right. In fact, uh, let's go to the fountain of all knowledge, and that's to the church itself. Let's go. But no better person to tell you what it is that they think they their organization uh, means than to the person controlling the organization. And if you go to the church's website, you have this explanation that is uh, on the page under called General Church Leadership. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints follows the same pattern as the church that Jesus Christ established during his mortal ministry, restored in modern times. He remains the head of the church and directs his chosen servants as they lead. The leaders of the worldwide church are known as general authorities and general officers. So you have that, that term general is now being used even outside of authority for general officers. General authorities include the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, General Authority 70s, and the Presiding Bishopric. General Officers include the General Presidencies of the Relief Society, Primary, Sunday School, Young Women, and Young Men Organizations. The First Presidency is the highest governing body of the church. Along with the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, members of the First Presidency are special witnesses of Jesus Christ. They seek the Lord's guidance as they oversee the affairs of the church. General authorities, general officers, and other church leaders likewise seek divine guidance as they love and serve specific groups of church members throughout the world. So it, you get this very clear definition of what is considered a, a general authority. Um, obviously these are all things that I'm never going to be. So I don't have to worry about, you know, how exactly do I want my tunnel elder to read? Um, you know, 
do I have a do I have a middle <laughs> initial? Does anyone know? Um, but you know, back to Richard's point, it is amazing how the Lord has established His church. It, it really is, and and I got to tell you, as a historian watching, as I read, right, watching the unfolding of God calling Joseph and Oliver just as first and second elder, and then and then just a little bit more. One of Brigham Young's favorite phrases was God calling here a little and there a little. A little bit here and a little bit there. He uses it over and over and over again to explain that God is unfolding the restoration right before our eyes. As President Nelson said, the restoration's ongoing. This is not a finished process. We have the church and the best part about having a true and living church is that it changes. It's the best part about it. And yet at the same time, it's one of the reasons why people lose their minds. Well, if the church isn't exactly the same as it was in 1847, then that proves that it's not being led by God anymore. Yeah, well, the church was being led by God when Lehi didn't live in Jerusalem anymore. I mean, the, the whole point in having the Lord lead the church is that the church then can receive inspiration to respond to the changing needs of the world. As the article Richard just cited um, you know, demonstrates, the, the point is the needs of the church change over time. Our membership, where they're, where they're at changes over time. We have, we have a million members in Mexico and a million members in Brazil, basically, at this point. In 1995, when this was first announced, it was about 9 million members. Two years later, it was about 10 million. The expansion has been incredibly dramatic right. over the and, past And years. even in this era of rejection of faith, in an era where all you ever hear about is how nobody believes and everyone's becoming a, a, a non, right? No, everyone's getting rid of, of religion and they, they, they are, are fastly heading towards a secular world where God doesn't even exist. For all those stories that you hear, and, and look, we all have had painful experiences with loved ones we have that have walked away from the truth. The reality is, among churches, our church is still growing. Maybe not as quickly as it was, but it is rapidly growing. Hundreds of thousands of members in some places in Africa now. Hundreds of thousands in, in the space of a few decades. This, this, this church continues to expand. Now there's going to be all kinds of headwinds, especially given the secular age that we live in. But to me, that's the great beauty of 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 being a part of the Lord's church that even in the organizational structure the Lord makes it so that he can expand it when he needs to he can draw it in when he needs to he can make it more area specific when he needs to and that's why we have a prophet that's why we have a first presidency and a quorum of the 12 apostles so that they can receive the revelation of how to best guide the church into into the future um, this question of who has authority to lead the church is, is sometimes at the very heart 
of not only apostates in the modern world, but apostates in the in the earlier ages of the church. And so on our next episode, one of the things we're going to talk about is a particular, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't an apothecary. But he was an apostate. But he was an apostate. And, and it's going to actually relate to one of our listeners' questions because his apostasy is a very specific thing where he's claiming that another aspect of church authority, another, another, another office actually supersedes the office of an apostle. And now you're wondering, well, who is it? I'm pretty excited, right? Yeah, everyone's on the edge of their seats. I, I did want to say, though, if I could, to Janet, uh, whose email was, was very funny. It was hilarious. It was, it was uh, well-written, very funny. It's almost as though she's a writer. It's almost as though. Yeah, almost as though she's an experienced writer. A very well, good well and known in the Wasatch yes. Front. Yeah, and, uh, interesting. Yes, uh, it, was, it was very <laughs> She's funny. a lot better writer than we are. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but uh, that said, I will be putting in the description, uh, there was in April of this year, in the church news, there was an article that is was titled, What is the difference between a General Authority 70 and an Area 70 and a General Officer? How about that for timing? Wow. It, do you have a friend there that put that up for you? <laughs> yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got a friend at the church you've news. Got, yeah, at the church news department. Like, they didn't even run this article, but you said, I need you to put I this did, up, and I need you to post date it. Jenna, call me out. I need you to post date it for April of 2020. And the gangrenous antelope hobbles on. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.